Neurodiversity can be a challenging diagnosis, whether you are neurodivergent, neurotypical, or just looking to understand someone who has a diagnosis. My name is Juana Venegas, and this podcast was created to be a resource for you. We will provide tools and engaging conversations to help navigate the journey from the diagnosis to hope and create community along the way. Because by creating community, we are helping today's current kids, young adults, and also building a more inclusive world for future generations. Hi guys, this is Juana again uh, with Minor for Inclusion Foundation Neurodiversity Podcast. And I have a great special person for me uh, right here with us. Um, her, her name is Taylor Thompson. She's um, BCBAA and she's the chairwoman of our board of directors. So you can tell tell us more like who you are. All right. So hi, everyone. I, as Juana said, am Taylor Thompson. I am a board certified behavior analyst, otherwise known as a BCBA within the field of applied behavior analysis. Um, and for those of you who don't really know what that is, it's really just the study and scientific approach to behavior. Um, so that's behavior is anything we do, anything you can visually see, that's what we address. Um, so for a lot of times, ABA itself is a very big scope. I mean, ABA can be utilized within business. It can be utilized to motivate within schools. Um, but a big part of what I do is work with neurodiverse children, particularly kids with autism, ADHD, and anxiety. Um, so that's kind of my niche in the area of ABA. <clears throat> and basically what I do for those children is anything that they really need to work on to be their most independent selves while also encouraging them to be themselves. Um, so we can work on living skills, unwanted behaviors, how to be independent, communication, social skills. Um, and ABA can serve individuals all the way from 18 months of age until adulthood, however long it is needed. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, something that I, I don't think that many parents know is like the process that you need to have in order to become a, a BCBA. Like it's a pretty intense uh, process. So if you can tell us a little bit more about that process. Yeah. So I myself, I've been in the field of ABA for about 10 years. And so basically when you start in the field, if you start there, you are what you call an RBT, which is a registered behavior technician. Um, anyone can become an RBT. You do not have to have an educational background. However, when you do become an RBT, there is a 40 hour course that you have to take, which includes online and in person. You also have to be supervised by a supervising BCBA and you have to pass the test to become a registered behavior technician. So it kind of starts there. And the RBTs are 
the RBTs who work directly with the children for the amount of hours that they are uh, approved for per se. Um, so they're doing most of the one-on-one -on -one work. The next step up that one can receive is their BCABA, which is a board certified assistant behavior analysis analyst. Um, and this you can receive once you have gotten your bachelor's and completed um, uh, supervision hours and then the certification test as well. Um, the supervision hours continuously kind of change as our board of ethics evaluates what is needed and what is not. I think right now we're at like 2,500 supervision hours. So it's a lot of hours that you need to be working with the child and working on the back end of treatment plans, goal creating, parent training. Um, and then the next step is the BCBA, which is the board certified behavior analyst. And that's where you have to have your master's. You also have to have supervision hours, and then you have to pass the certification test, which is not easy, might I tell you. I mean, there are some BCBAs out there who, I mean, it can take eight, eight times to pass because it's, it's a scaled test. It's, it's very difficult. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you know, essentially to become a BCBA yourself, you have to have your master's receive the hours. And then every year, every two years, you also have to, um, complete your continuing education units, which is 32 hours within two years. So we're constantly attending conferences and, you know, accumulating those hours as well. Right, thank you so much for the information. So um, you also wanted to mention something to the parents, like what is the controversy between ABA right now, how to choose the right BCBA, the right RBT, and the floor is yours. All right. <laughs> so within the field of ABA, it is fairly new. So as anything that's new, there's controversy around it, you know, and in the field, you're always striving to also be better. Like since it is so new in ABA, we have made mistakes. We have done things wrong, you know, just as in anything else in this world, in this life. And all we can do is try to be better. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, I can speak for myself where I'm at. I, I want to be the best, most empathetic, understanding, inclusive BCBA that I can be. And I hope that, and I would assume that all other BCBAs out there are trying to do the same. We're all doing our best. We're all trying to be our best. Um, but there's still a lot of room for growth and, Basically, what the controversy is, is, um, you know, we have some older, again, specifically my niche is autism. So there are some older autistic adults who are out there saying that ABA was just detrimental to them. It was terrible. It taught them how to mask and go out in public and have anxiety because, you know, they had to do this, 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 the ABA made them do, um, and it was stressful. And, you know, that's never my goal in ABA. Um, my goal is just, I want, you know, whoever I'm working with to be able to go out in the world and, and be comfortable in whatever capacity that is, you know, every child, every neurodiverse child is different. 
and their goals are going to be different. And the expectations for that child or young adult are going to be different. Um, And so I think that's just kind of been the controversy is, you know, a lot of parents out there like, no ABA, don't do it. It's horrible for your child. Go seek something else. Um, And I guess to your point, Juana, is like for a parent that's like, okay, you're telling me no ABA, but what else is there? What can I do? And that's the thing for children with such significant and severe behaviors, there really isn't anything else. I mean, ABA is the only scientific approach to approaching behavior. And so you just have to be confident in choosing and saying, okay, hey, this is the option for my child. And I'm going to do this, but I'm also going to be cautionary. And so when you are looking for ABA providers, you do want to look for certain things. Um, You want to make sure that they do a thorough assessment. You know, I know there are some companies out there who might just show up for the initial assessment and ask you some questions and be like, okay, I'm going to type up the treatment plan. And then these are the hours we'll get approved for. Like from the very beginning, your assessment should be very thorough. They should speak with you. They should sit and work with the client one-on-one or child. I'm sorry. I refer to client, (laughs) those kids that I work with. Um, And, you know, if in other environments, if they're having difficulties at the grocery store, at school, in summer camp, whatever it may be, is, are they going into those areas and observing the child there? Um, I could go on and on about this, but um, just make sure the assessment is thorough from the beginning. And then as it goes on, you also want to find a provider that, you know, okay, the RBTs that are going to be on the case, how high is your turnover rate? How, how often are you losing the RBTs at your company? Because if there's a high RBT turnover rate, that means that there's likely not a lot of supervision from the BCBA. Um, RBTs don't feel, you know, respected and honored in their position. And, you know, again, they're the ones working one-on-one with your child. And so they should be excited, eager to work and stay at a company for a decent amount of time. Um, another thing that I mentioned was supervision by a BCBA, your BCBA should be supervising your RBT weekly, unless, you know, somebody goes on vacation or something comes up and they communicate that with you. But consistently a BCBA should either be supervising in person or via telehealth, the sessions with the RBT. And also there should be parent training that occurs monthly, um, at the very minimum bi-weekly. And that is so important because that means that the BCBA wants you as a parent to carry over what we're doing with your child as well, because if it's working for us, we want it to work for you. Um, so I would say those are kind of the main things I could go so on for so much more, but that supervision turnover rate you know, how much time and effort is the BCBA putting in to your child? Awesome. So you mentioned something about the assessments. Can you guide the parents what type of assessments will the company needs to bring? Like, I know that there are some names that they're not on the top of my mind, but. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Well, from the very beginning, if you are, you know, there's more to this process as well. So let's say your child already has a diagnosis. So you have the diagnosis, you are approved through your insurance. So you're going to go to insurance. You're going to say, I want to start ABA therapy. What do I need to do? You have this approved diagnosis. If typically approval for ABA, I do believe you have to have autism diagnosis, some insurances might accept ADHD um, and some other, you know, comorbid diagnoses with autism. But, you know, again, ABA is new and we're still out here trying to convince insurances and other people that, hey, we can help other kids as well, not just kids with autism. Um, so you kind of want to start there. You're covered by insurance. Great. So the initial assessment is when the BCBA will be coming in. Sometimes the BCABA as well, because um, again, they are approved. They have had training sufficient enough to complete that as well. Um, and then depending on the independence of your child, which independence can include, you know, are they verbal or nonverbal? How do they handle living skills? You know, can they communicate their wants and needs? verbally or non-verbally. Um, you'll kind of give us that in the initial intake. And then from there, we'll be able to determine what assessment we need to do. So some assessments we have are the VB map, which is the verbal behavior assessment. <clears throat> we have the ABLES, which is um, basic learning and language assessment. We have the ABOS, which is a little bit for the older kids that are kind of fading out of the VB map. Um, we have the Vineland assessment. There are lots of assessments out there, but I would say those are like the most common we're doing right now. Um, and then we also have some behavioral parts of the assessments. So when it comes to assessment, we're looking at behaviors, but we're also looking at skill acquisition. So we're looking at behaviors that we kind of want to decrease and then other behaviors we want to increase. So let's say a child you know, is hitting in order to get things they want. So we want to decrease that hitting and increase their functional communication. And what are all those goals that go into that? And then we have skill acquisition that's like, okay, let's work on their hand washing. Let's say they're not independent with that. Let's work on their communication. Um, <clears throat> let's work on them initiating peer play or tolerating others around them. Um, so it's kind of twofold. We're analyzing behaviors, but we're also looking where we can increase their skill acquisition. Yeah. So something that you mentioned um, previously and is very important is that the independence of the client, the independence of the kid, that's what is ABA for. Yeah. Forever for the rest of their life now is so if you can elaborate more on that. Yeah. So the goal within ABA, you know, we don't, we don't want to be needed forever that we, we want children to fade out of ABA. And within that, you know, again, we start with the skill acquisition. We then move on to maintenance. Can they maintain that skill with other people in different in my environments? And can they generalize it? You know, can they generalize it to other people? and have the same response, you know, okay, we mastered no hitting at home with dad. Can we master no hitting at the grocery store with mom? And if we can't, then that skill is not 
mastered. Um, so we really look for independence when a skill is truly mastered and maintained over time. And the, I guess I would say long-term goal that we typically look for is like over three months, let's see. And then we have a check-in and it's like, okay, have they maintained this for the six month authorization period? Um, and so that's kind of what we're looking at, but yes, independence for these children. And again, it can look different for each child, you know, one child may, may be nonverbal, but we are going to work as long as we can. And as long as we need to, for that child to be able to communicate their wants and needs. Now, whether that's through sign language, a picture exchange communication system, an AAC device, which is an iPad where they can click and communicate how they need to, you know, we are going to set them up for success because a lot of times when these kids don't have a way to communicate, that's when the behaviors occur more. So it's not just about, oh, I see this behavior occurring and I want to decrease it. No, we want to get down to the why. We want to know why. Why is this behavior so high? And why isn't this other appropriate behavior in increasing? Like what's going on? Um, so that's kind of what we do. And that that also is a part of the controversy is, um, you know, just some people are saying that we don't try to figure out the why we just want to extinguish behaviors and get rid of the quote unquote bad behaviors. And like, it, that's so far from the truth. Like we just, we want our children to do the best and their best, not what we expect of them, not what mom and dad want out of them for them, you know? Um, and I think ABA has come a long ways as far as sensory behaviors. Um, so sensory behaviors come a lot with children with autism, but also other kids as well. Anybody, yes. Yeah. Um, Anybody. What was that? Anybody. Like I also have. Yeah, we we like, all have sensory we behaviors. We all have, yeah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, ABA used to want to extinguish those behaviors and say, oh, we shouldn't do that. Like if a child has hand flapping, nope, nope, they shouldn't hand flap. That's not good. And in some instances, again, depending on the child, if you have a verbal child that you can talk with about and say, hey, are you comfortable not doing that around other people? Like, can we find something else to maybe do? So, you know, it again, doesn't draw so much attention if that's bothering you, because some of our kids are very aware and they're wondering, why am I not making friends? And again, that, that's a whole other issue that we don't have control over sometimes. That's other parents' jobs to <laughs> teach their children inclusivity. Um, so we do what we can for our kids. And, you know, again, you might have a child you can talk with about it and figure something out. But then you also have some children who are nonverbal and you cannot have that conversation with and get an answer from. And so you just have to figure out what works best for that child. If you trying to get rid of that behavior looks as if it's causing more anxiety within that child, then you know what? Maybe that's something we don't address right now. Maybe we need to just work on something else. And, you know, again, that's <clears throat> something really difficult sometimes for parents to hear. That's what I've noticed. You know, parents a lot of times 
are the ones who, well, I don't want them to do that because I don't like how it looks and I don't like how it draws attention. Um, and as behavior analysts, it's our job to educate the parents on how it's appropriate, not appropriate, what we should expect, not should expect, um, and just make them feel comfortable and seen. And, but also, Hey, this is your child and we're, we have to figure out what's best for them and extinguishing that behavior right now, maybe isn't best. Um, so yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that. All right. So why do you choose Manu for Inclusion Foundation? So I chose Manu for Inclusion one, because Manu actually used to be a client of mine, um, a while ago probably like five years ago now. Yes. (laughs) It's been a while. Um, And so, you know, as eventually I transitioned off of Manu's case and I, you know, no longer work with him, had my daughter and Juana and I just became friends and she inspired me and told me about the nonprofit that she had opened. And kind of at that same time, I began working with another company where I saw a lot of low-income families. And I saw this need. So Juana explained to me what Manu for Inclusion is. Um, And then I saw the need of these families in the low income that just don't have the resources. They don't know where to start. They don't know what's available to them or which way to go. Um, And so that kind of inspired me to be like, hey, Juana, let's... (laughs) (laughs) let's join forces and see what you know we can provide to our community so yeah so what do you do behind the scenes of minor for inclusion so behind the scenes you know we do a lot of fundraising for starters you know to to be able to provide families with anything we have to to fundraise um and then within that we do provide, Juana does an amazing job of providing a workshop for families um, <clears throat> that kind of just helps them through their child's diagnosis or any, even any other things occurring in their life. Um, and then within that, we do work also with an advocate because a lot of our children need advocacy services within the schools. Um, there's a lot, again, of kind of just disconnect and miscommunication between teachers and admin and children that are neurodiverse. Um, And then we also do uh, ABA consults for some families as well, for those who are either on waiting lists for their current ABA company or um, who are not receiving ABA services at the time. Yeah, because... um... If we can explain why to people that for ABA services, you need a diagnosis, plus you need the insurance to pay for it, plus sometimes the people is in the gap between Medicaid and the private insurance and they cannot, they cannot pay for the insurance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, you know, you have, if, if you don't have a diagnosis, that is accepted by insurance, you will be privately paying. Um, A lot of families who private pay, they typically just do consults with a behavior analyst. And it's kind of just parent training, really like, hey, let's meet one time a week. 
let's talk about your child's behavior. Let's come up with a behavior plan and how we're going to implement it. And that's about as much as a lot of families can afford. I mean, even families who, you know, are well off, you know, it's, it's still a lot of money um, because of the need right now. Um, and so, yes, if you don't have a diagnosis, you're likely going to be private pay. If you do have a diagnosis, that's when you have to go to your insurance and say, Hey, I have the diagnosis. Does your insurance even pay for ABA therapy? Because some insurances do not some off the top of my head that I know that do are blue cross, blue shield, United healthcare, um, Aetna, Cigna, and TRICARE. Those are like the five that I know that that do. And there may be some subcategories in there that do as well. Um, and then, yes. Oh, and then Medicaid as well. However, not every ABA company is a Medicaid provider. Um, it takes a while to be approved by Medicaid as a, a provider because there was a moratorium on being a Medicaid provider because again, ABA learning from their mistakes. Um, people were committing fraud here in the state of Florida. Um, and so that kind of put a damper on everyone who provided ABA services for a long time. And I mean, again, I'm so glad that the board of ethics investigated that and insurance, because obviously we should not be committing fraud. Um, and basically what people were doing is they were billing and saying they were with a child when they were not, um, or over billing hours, you know, saying a client needs 60 hours of ABA in a week. And, um, yeah, if you have an ABA company that says that go somewhere else, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yes, make sure your provider accepts the insurance that you do have, And then there is waiting lists because the demand is so high. A lot of our um, companies have six-month waiting lists. So um, early intervention is the best place to start. I know within the state of Florida, we have something called early steps. And you can start there just if your child is struggling in any area. If you notice that they're a bit behind on their speech or behaviorally, you're not sure how to respond, go to your pediatrician and say, Hey, I would like to be evaluated for early steps. Do we qualify? It's government funded. So it's free until the child is, I believe it's offered until they're yeah three. And then I think they also help you transition to child fine. Yes. Which goes until they're five child fine. It, it goes until they're five and then it becomes part of the school district. Okay. Yes. So that's kind of the process. It's early steps, child find, and then the school district kind of takes it from there. Um, So yes, if you're in the state of Florida, or if you're in any other state, look into what your state provides for zero to three. Um, And then from there, there's a lot of resources to, um, you know, if you do need to get a diagnosis, if they have one, they'll point you in, in all the right directions. Okay. What what advice would you give to a parent who receives the diagnosis today? So it's, you know, it it's hard when I actually worked for early steps and within early steps, we would do evaluations to provide behavioral services to children. 
a lot of these children did not have a diagnosis yet. And as a BCBA, we cannot diagnose. You have to go to a pediatric um, behavioral. Yeah. Behavioral psychologist. psychologist. Uh-huh. Or and neurologist. <laughs> yeah. Those are about the only two people who can diagnose. Um, however, within early steps, we would tell the parents <clears throat> if we notice red flags. So what red flags are for autism, <clears throat> it typically, you know, are those, I guess, more obvious signs of autism. When you see the tiptoe walking, when you see the hand flapping and the spinning and the lining up of objects and the repetitive vocalizations and not being able to communicate their wants and needs. And again, there's so much more to this. I'm just kind of giving, you know, uh, the basis of it. Um, we would then tell the parents, you know, hey, we do see red flags. We do recommend you follow up, you know, with your pediatrician. And even that alone, you know, it was so hard to just, and I'm sure you can speak on this as well, Juana, or you, you yeah they have already, but, you know, you just see these parents crumble, you know, they have these dreams for their children. I mean, the moment you have a child, you're thinking of their future and how they're going to go to school and go to college or maybe not go to college and get a great job and get married and be able to drive. And all of these parents are just at this point, like, what is my child's future? I mean, I think, I don't know if that was your first thought but <laughs> yeah yeah so, go ahead so basically yeah that's what it goes or it was over my head yeah. what the heck I didn't choose I didn't choose this um but what I want to tell the parent it is is going to be okay yeah. it is going to be okay once you calm down yes there are many stages that we go through the diagnosis First is the denial, uh, then is the guiltiness, then is anger, then is depression. And then at the end, we start looking to a to acceptance. And if you take money for inclusion personal development program, then you, you will see the light and the hope of these neurodiverse kids uh, teaches us constantly. But don't lose hope. Continue with your with your ABA um, person. Continue with your speech person. Continue with your OT, PT, anything that you can do and learn from those professionals. Because if you don't do the ABA like the BCBA is teaching you, then the behaviors as well are going to increase again. Um, and then... Do you have anything else to add to that? Um, I think within that, you didn't directly say it, but I think it's, you know, just be an advocate for your child. And I know Juana is a very strong advocate for Manu and she, you know, finds all the holes and what needs to be fixed. And she says, you know, no, my son needs this and he's going to get this. And, and you do, you're going to run into people where you just feel like you're constantly in a fight with them. And I know Juana has said this before, don't fight, you know, remain strong, advocate, but don't fight even when there are moments when you want to, <laughs> Yes. Um, but yes, just advocate for your child. If something in, a, and that can come to ABA providers, 
If you feel your RBT is not connecting with your child, tell your BCBA. If you feel that a certain intervention is not working, tell your BCBA. Like we want to be told those things. We want a parent who is involved in asking questions. You know, I, every time I have a parent who is very involved and they're like, I'm so sorry for all the questions, or I'm so sorry to bother you. I'm like, you are never bothering me. I would absolutely rather have a parent that is questioning what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, how I do it, than a parent who is not involved. Because I know that that parent is trying to do what my suggestions are in the home as well. Yeah. So something that I wanted to ask you, but I skipped my mind and it came back. Yeah. It's like something that it was real quick, really cool about the pandemic is that actually BCBAs are opening ABA companies that, oh my God, you need to talk about that. Yes, it's true. Um, So many of us just, again, saw the need. And what we also figured out within the pandemic is that telehealth can be just as effective. You know, um, it, it can be just as effective, especially for parent training. You know, a lot of times when I didn't have telehealth, it was a lot of coordinating with parents. Okay, what day can I come? How much can we meet? And everyone is busy. You know, parents are not only parents of a neurodiverse child, but they're parents of possibly a neurotypical child who has all, you know, bunch of activities as well. And, you know, they're going from here to there and it's like, how do I fit in this parent training and they want to fit it in. Um, And so what telehealth has kind of allowed us is we can join over Zoom and we can do that, you know, as a parent is sitting in the car of the parking lot of their child's soccer game or, you know, um, so it's given us a big, uh, it's, we don't have that barrier anymore. It's so much easier to approach, but also it's amazing. Yes. That there are more ABA companies coming out there. And I think, you know, when you have a bigger ABA company, and this isn't to say that a bigger ABA company is, is not a good ABA company because there are many that are, but I think what we've found, like Juana said through the pandemic is now a lot of BCBAs are these owners. If you look at some of these companies, a lot of the owners are just businessmen and, and that's okay too. If you hire the right people and it trickles down that that's great. But I think it's also something to say when, um, some BCBAs are owners of the companies and they're, you know, creating the policies and they're the ones who are overseeing everything that's being done within the company. So I have really liked to see that. Yeah. All right. So we're almost at the end of our podcast. Thank you for so much for joining us, Taylor. Do you have any invitation for parents, for neurodivergent people, for anyone out there? Yeah. I mean, we have our website that is manuforinclusion.org. And I would say go there, you know, connect with us. If you have questions, if you don't even know where to get started, email us, whatever it needs to be, Um, you know, just get going with, just say, hey, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And we're going to be here. Um, So I think that to start is a good place to start. Also be on the lookout for um, different fundraisers that we're going to be having. Because again, 
we do what we do with donations from, you know, all of our supporters. So really, I mean, that's kind of what our most need is right now, because we have more and more people coming to us and we need to be able to provide to them, you know, all of these resources that we do have. All right, Taylor. Thank you so much for tonight. You have a great day. Kisses to Adi. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay, everyone. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for joining today. And remember, if you have any questions or comments, please email me at juanav at manuforinclusion.org. Have an awesome day and see you next time.